Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I'm working in my home office, and from morning till lunch, I'm in back-to-back meetings, one meeting right after another. My last meeting's at 1 o'clock, and I have a doctor's appointment downtown Toronto at 2 o'clock. It's going to take me an hour and 15 minutes to get downtown and park. So before I've left, I'm already late. So I jump in the car, and I'm driving downtown. Okay, it wasn't like that. It was more like this. Get out of my way, you idiot! Get, can't you feel in a rush? Get out of my way! But it wasn't like that either. I'm Christian. Kind of somewhere in between. I finally get downtown, I park, I go to the doctor, and they start drawing blood. And they start talking to each other. They can't find the vein. And so they're poking and they're prodding, and they're saying to each other, I think he's dehydrated. And they're poking and they're prodding, and then one says to the other, his veins are collapsing. And when I heard that, I collapsed. I passed out. And the reason I passed out is because I'm a coward. I'm a coward. And all of us, by nature, are cowards. And we have just counted 50 days to come to this day of Pentecost, this day of power, this day of courage. So let us now, today, explore the purpose of Pentecost and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Yesterday when I was in Toronto, I spoke about Christ being the reason why. He is the creator of all created things. Not only did he create everything, everything was created for him. He is the center of the gospel. And Christ was courageous. As creator, he came down from heaven and came into his creation and he stared death in the face. The creator looked at going into non-existence and he faced that as it were with great drops of blood as he faced this prospect of going out of existence. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours. And he faced that fate courageously. The scripture tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let us understand the purpose of Pentecost. And just before I get into my message, can we have a round of applause for all of the music that we heard today? That was really incredible music. And I was not only inspired by the talent, but by the words that were sung, because they have everything to do with my message today. And again, before I get started, I want to uh, bring you greetings from Pastor Murray. He's in Newfoundland, and the brethren from Newfoundland pass their greetings and love unto you. 
The message today has three parts. Part one, let us explore Christ's work and its consequences. Let us then explore the church's work and its consequences. And then let us explore the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Part one, Christ's work. John 17. John 17. What was Christ's work? Why did he come down from heaven and walk on earth? What work did he do while he was here? John 17 and verse 1 says, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. So this is the whole purpose of us coming to Christ is so that Christ can glorify the Father. But it is the Father's will that Christ be glorified. And every knee must bow to Christ. And when all enemies are subdued to Christ, then Christ will turn over the kingdom to the Father. That I may glorify you as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the Father is the only true God. But he has a son that he sent into the world. Why did he send his son into the world? I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. So Christ came with a job to do. What was that job? And now, O Father, glorify thou me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifest... This is the work. Here is the work of Christ. I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of you. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them. And they have known surely that I came out from you. And they have believed that you did send me. As you heard in the offertory, Not everybody believed it. Not everybody believes that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, that he was sent by the Father, and that he had glory with the Father before he came. But those that the Father has given him, they believe. And they believe for the work's sake. John 8. John 8. John 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. This is the critical point of life. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is him? The one that God sent. Then said they unto him, Who are you? And Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, 
I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So Christ came to the earth with a work that pleased the Father. And he always did the things that pleased the Father. And he calls us to do those things that bring joy to the Father. And he spoke these words, many believed on him. So as he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So This is the question for us brethren. Will we continue in his word? We have to read the word and then do the word. Because God's word pleases him. And if we do those things that are in his word, we bring pleasure to our Father if we continue in his word. Again, this work that Christ did, John 6, let's go back a couple of chapters. John 6. And verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Okay, you're doing the work of God. We want to do the work of God. What, what can we do so we can, we can be a part of this? We want to do the work of God. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. This is God's work, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ created the entire universe. He is the Son of the living God. Any questions? Is it not clear? Which part of the Son of God do people not understand? I say, if I were to be silent, the stones would cry out that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that is the work that the Father gave Christ to do while He was on earth to declare that He is the Son of God. This is the work of God. Jesus Christ came and He did this work. What were the consequences? What were the consequences of this work? Philippians 2. And verse 9. He says that because of the way that Christ went about this work, he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So Christ came and he did what pleased the Father. And the Father has now given him a name that is above every name. And every knee will bow to Christ. But that is not the only consequence of the work that Christ did. As he came to declare that he is the Son of the living God, yes, he now has a name that is above every name. But look at a further consequence in John 10. John 10. John 10 and verse 30. Jesus Christ speaking. If you have it in red letter, these are in red letters to show it's a quote from Christ. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered and said to them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone you not, but for blasphemy. And because that you, being a man, make yourself God. This is the consequence of the work that the Father gave Christ to do. He came to declare that he is the Son of God, that he and his Father are one. And what was the consequence? He was the first Christian martyr. He was, he was put to death. Here they wanted to stone him. Eventually they would crucify him for this work. The work of God is to bring all mankind to Christ with the knowledge that he is the Son of God. Satan hates this work. Satan opposes this work. And this, brethren, is our work. When Christ died, he went to heaven and he started his church. And he gave the church a job to do. And our job is to declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 1. Acts 1. Let's now look at our work. Acts 1 and verse 6. When they, therefore, were come together, they asked of him, Jesus, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. So you have a work to do. And you're going to receive power so that you can do this work. And this work is to declare that I am the Son of God. So you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And what, what shall that Holy Spirit enable us to do? And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't miss this, brethren. The church is to receive power. The purpose of this power is to declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. First in Jerusalem, then in all Judea, then in Samaria, and then internationally. But it's not just to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. It is to be witnesses that he is the Son of God. This is a legal term. This is a legal term. We are in the process of judgment. Satan himself will be judged. He'll be brought into court, and there'll be a formal process, and we will need witnesses. And the church is being recruited to be the witnesses of a legal process, or in a legal process. And we need power to do that. Webster defines witness as a person who sees an event, typically a crime or accident, take place. It's also a person giving sworn testimony to a court of law or to the police. The other day I was driving, I was driving to meet Pastor Ramakan, and I had to call him to say, I don't think I can make it. Because as I, as I was driving, everything's going fine, and in an instant, less than a second, I witnessed an accident right in front of me. Something happened, I don't know what. The driver right in front of me lost control, ended up going into the guardrail, airbags deploying. Fortunately, nobody lost their lives. There were three people in the car, passenger, driver, and another passenger here. If there was a passenger in that seat, I'm sure they'd be decapitated or dead. But nobody was in that seat. So I pulled over to help, called 911. Another person pulled over. I told the police exactly where we were. Another gentleman came over. When the police came, he asked, the, the first gentleman, um, did you witness this accident? He said, no, be on your way. You're useless. Then he turned to me and said, did you witness the accident? I said, yes. He said, I'll take a statement from you. I'll go back to your car. But before he took my statement, I, I, I saw something. And another driver who had pulled over, she came back after a while. And she explained that she was the one that took an erratic action. And so the, the driver was really upset with her. So I saw something and I heard something. And I was asked for my statement. I took about 15 minutes carefully saying what I saw and what I heard. Because this is a legal process. I am a witness. And we are now being called to be witnesses. That is the purpose of Pentecost. Proverbs 14 says, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. You have a religion that begins with the Shahada, where you must declare that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Have you met Muhammad? Did you live with him? Do you know him? How can you bear witness that this man is the messenger of God when you've never met him? So you begin your walk with God with a false testimony. Have you met Jesus Christ? Did you eat with him? 
Did you sleep with him? Did you converse with him? How do you know he's the Son of God? How can you bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Acts 5. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Acts 5 and verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we, that is the disciples, the apostles, are his witnesses of these things. They were there. They saw these things. Over 500 brethren saw the risen Christ. They are his witnesses. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lie. I didn't meet Jesus Christ personally, but I declare to you as a faithful witness, he is the Son of God. Just as you can declare to me, if you have the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. The English word witness glosses over something more substantive in the Greek. The actual word in the Greek is martyrus, from which we get the word martyr, and it means one who testifies in legal matters, one who affirms or attests, one who witnesses at the cost of life. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it came to give them the power to witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God at the cost of life. Every one of those apostles, except one, was martyred for their witness. And John was exiled so that he could give us the book of Revelation so that we could understand that we are being called to be martyred for our witness, if need be. If need be. As Pastor Horain said, or quoting Abraham Lincoln, we don't pray that God is on our side. We pray that we are on his side. There is something going on here that predates us. It goes back between Christ and Lucifer and the Father and, and going back to Adam. And there's a legal process of judgment taking place. And we have been recruited as witnesses. John 15. John 15. John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit... He takes away. 
this, this is a reality, brethren. We can't get away from this. If we do not bear fruit, the Father takes us away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. We're here to do a work. We're here to be fruitful. And the more fruitful we are, the more fruitful we'll become. Because God will keep purging us so that we can be more and more fruitful. Because there's a work to be done. There's a declaration to be made. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. This is why, brethren, Christ said to Peter, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in the vine. So this is the word of life which we must be fed so that we can bear fruit. If a man, verse 6, abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There's a rough road ahead, brethren. It's coming. I don't know how soon it's coming, but I tell you it's coming. And what we have to do is abide in Christ so that we can bear much fruit, whatever happens, that we will be solid no matter what happens. Because if we do not abide in this word, men will gather us and cast us into the fire. Herein is my Father glorified. Sorry, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you love me, feed my sheep. If my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue you in my love. Continue. Continue. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. So there's, there's an issue, brethren, where at, at issue is whether or not the joy in Christ will remain in us. That there's a joy in Christ, but there's a risk of that joy leaving us. But he's giving us now a formula to ensure that that joy in Christ remains with us. Here in verse 12. So verse 11. These things I've spoken unto you. The reason I'm telling you these things is so that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So this is, this is the formula, brethren, for full joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another. This is the formula for full joy, ongoing, never interrupted. That you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And I'm commanding you to love one another. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So, brethren, we didn't choose Christ. He chose us. His word must abide in us. When his word abides in us, it enables us to love one another. It enables us to declare that Christ is the Son of God. That brings forth fruit. That means more people come into the church. And that fruit remains. Verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. Over and over, brethren, there's something here that we have to grasp, that it's a command that we love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He came into his creation. He declared that he's the Son of God. He just wanted mankind to know that God loves us, that God has a great potential for us. And with that message, he was hated and put to death. Then he says, you continue my work. But know this, that the world hated me, and you're doing my work, it's going to hate you too. But you love one another, so that your joy will remain, and your joy will be full. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So there's fruit to be made here. As we declare this, there are people that will keep our saying. But we will be hated. And I wonder, brethren, if I can ask you, are you ready to be hated? Or do you want to be popular? Do you want to fit in? Do you want lots of likes? Are you hoping that everybody on Facebook will like you? Or will you declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, even if it means you're going to be hated? Because our world is changing. And this message, the tolerance for Christ, is dropping. Verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had not sinned. But now... Have they both seen and hated both me and my father? For the Antichrist rejects Christ and the Father. But this comes to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. I'm telling you, brethren, when this court process comes to a conclusion, everyone will acknowledge that they hated Christ without a cause. 
He gave them no reason to hate him. He came loving, and they hated him. And we are part of this judicial process that we must be witnesses and be able to say that they hated us without a cause. All we wanted to do was tell the world the good news that Christ is coming to reign and to liberate and to love. And they hated us without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, ah, there's a Comforter coming. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, that Spirit that bears witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that same Spirit is the Comforter. And so it will come, Christ will send the Comforter, which proceeds from the Father. He shall testify of me. So I cannot testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the Comforter in me, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth in me, can bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that Spirit proceeds from the Father. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things, so, so these disciples are bearing witness, but the Holy Spirit is also bearing witness. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. Please don't read over that, brethren. Verse 1 of 16. Fasten your seatbelts. Brethren are going to be offended. Brethren are going to walk out because they're offended. And Jesus Christ is saying, don't be offended. He's saying, I'm telling you these things ahead of time so that you will not be offended. Don't be caught off guard. They shall put you out of assemblies. Yes, the time comes that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. Brethren, please, why are you blaming me? I didn't write this. I'm just recounting to you what the word says. He says here, this is the word of Christ in red, that whoever kills you will think he's serving God. There's some God concept that people are adopting that tells them that to kill you for declaring that Jesus is the Son of God is a good thing. It pleases God. When the very work that pleases God is to declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there's something going on here. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So as long as he was with the disciples, he didn't tell them these things. But now he's leaving, and he's saying, I've got to tell you this, because I'm not going to be with you. And you've got to stand your ground. You cannot collapse. You cannot be weak. You cannot faint. Hold your ground. So I'm telling you this now because I'm going away. I'm going to send the comforter. You stand your ground. <clears throat> These things have I told you, verse 4, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way 
to him that sent me. And not one of you asked me where I'm going. Wow. Unbelievable. Here I am. I came into the earth. I'm telling you, I'm going back to heaven where I'm from. Back to the Father. And not a single one of you asked me where I'm going. You don't care. Because somewhere in the conversation, you got stuck. Where did you get stuck? Where did we get stuck? But now I go my way to him that sent me, and not one of you asks me where I go. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your hearts. They heard that they had to witness for Christ to the point of martyrdom, and then they stopped listening. Then they passed out. The, the cowardly nature took over, and they didn't hear anything else. Even though he told them, I'm, I'm going back to the Father. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, and this is what we're celebrating now on, on Pentecost, is the arrival of the Comforter. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin through you. The Holy Spirit isn't just working in a vacuum. It's working in the saints. When he comes, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. The very work of God, the very reason why God sent Christ into the world, so that men might believe that he is the Son of God, and they won't believe. In fact, so much so that they will think they're doing God's service by putting us to death. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, a legal term. Because the prince of this world is judged. And, and brethren, we, are, we have the honor of being included in this process. The world doesn't revolve around us. Whether we were created or not, whether we were born or not, this process is taking place. We just have the privilege and the high honor of now being a part of this process, that the prince of this world will be judged and witnesses will be brought forward. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. They've already checked out. You know, now through the Apostle John, we get these many things. We get to understand. Through Daniel, we can understand. There's a lot here. But they couldn't bear it. They were very carnal in their nature. And if we stay in our carnal nature, we can't bear it. We're going to be offended. We need to get out of here. But if we can stand in the power of the Spirit, we can bear it. Not my, not my will, but yours be done. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And not all truth is pleasant truth. But you'll be able to bear it. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, 
and he will show you things to come. Again, it's not all pleasant. Ultimately, it is. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and you shall see me, shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he says unto us? A little while and, he shall not, and we shall not see him. And again, a little while and we shall see him. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? Verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And he said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you shall weep and lament. You shall weep and lament. Can you bear the sorrow, brethren? You shall weep and lament. And the world shall rejoice. So there's a a period we're going into where the world will have the upper hand. The world will be rejoicing. And the true followers of Christ will be weeping and mourning. This is the word. And you shall be sorrowful. But... Your sorrow shall be turned into joy. There is, we, we have to keep our eye on the end game. There's this journey we're on. And on this journey, there's a little period called sorrow. There's a little dot here called sorrow. Followed by a line into eternity called joy. Can we bear a little sorrow for the name of Christ, to declare Christ, to declare to this world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she's in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. So our hour is coming. And that hour is an hour of sorrow. But once we give birth, once the church gives birth, the sorrow is forgotten. Amen? And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. So we're asking in the will of God, so that we can declare the name of God, so that we can fulfill his purpose, so that our joy may be full. This is not ask so that we can have a new car. Ask so that we can have a new house. This is to ask so that we can do the work of God, so that our joy may be full. Verse 26, At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, And because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God, this is the work of God, that you believe that I came out from God, I came forth from the Father and I'm come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. His disciples said unto them, Lo now, speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb. 
Now are we sure that you know all things, and need not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered and said, Do you now believe? This is the work of God. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes, yes, is now come, that you shall be scattered. Do you now believe? Great. The hour is coming that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Let's not read over this, brethren. In the world we will have tribulation. But there is a comforter. The purpose of, one of the purposes of Pentecost is to send the comforter so that we can have peace. In a world of tribulation, we will have peace. Be of good cheer. So even though he's giving a very sorrowful account, you be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we have three purposes for the Holy Spirit. Number one, it teaches us the truth. And the truth will set us free. It might not be pleasant. It's not all pleasant. There's this little spot of tribulation. But we know the truth. Number two, it gives us boldness to declare the truth. That even though people might want to kill us, we can't help but declare Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He created all things, and all things were created for Him. He is the center of the universe. And when all things are subdued to him, he shall then turn all over to the Father. The Holy Spirit, we can't help but declare this with boldness. And number three, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort. Jesus Christ said over and over and over, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. So that we can face the children of the devil and tell them that Jesus is Lord. And when we are persecuted, we can come back to our community and be comforted by the Holy Spirit in one another. If we disobey Christ and we do not love one another, then we're facing Satan and his children. We're facing persecution. We're facing hostility, and then we, we come back into the community. We're facing persecution. We're facing hostility. There's no comfort. So the Holy Spirit teaches us all truth, gives us the boldness to declare that truth, and then gives us the love to comfort one another in this truth. No one else is going to comfort us. We're going to be hated of all nations. Luke 12. Love one another, brethren. Let's love one another. We, we don't have the luxury to be at each other's throats. We, we don't have this luxury. We, we need one another. 
We need to be building bonds of trust for what's coming. Luke 12, verse 7. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We have a work to do. It's the same work that Christ did. He came to declare that he is the Son of God, that that mankind would believe he is the Son of God. This is our work, to preach this good news, that he is the King, the King of kings. And it will be met with great hostility, great hostility. I think many of you heard of the um, shooting, the greatest mass shooting in U.S. history that happened last night. A gay bar. Do you think that homosexuality is the worst of sins to the Muslim jihadists? It's not. The worst sin is to declare that God has a son. So that hatred that you see toward homosexuals, that's nothing compared to the hatred that jihadists have toward Christians who want to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. In the face of that hatred, we must declare as faithful witnesses, what the Holy Spirit tells us is true, that Jesus is the Son of God. Fearlessly. Don't pass out. Don't be like me and pass out. Fearlessly. Because even the hairs on our head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men... Him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. This is legal language. This is judicial language. We confess Christ before men, and Christ will confess us before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Something's coming, brethren, where it's not going to be easy to say that Jesus is the Son of God. It's going to be easier to deny it. And Christ is saying, don't you ever. Be a faithful witness. I will give you power of the Holy Spirit so that you can stand your ground. And when you do as my faithful witnesses, even to the point of martyrdom, I will raise you up and I will declare you before my Father. Amen. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues or the assemblies, and unto magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing you should answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Spirit shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. This is why we need Pentecost, brethren, so that we can be faithful witnesses. And even when we're brought into these situations, In the very moment, the Holy Spirit will tell us what to say. It will give us a wisdom that we can read the audience, we can read the judge, and we will know exactly which scripture to quote, how to say it, when to say it, when to be silent, and to be faithful witnesses. Philippians 1. Verse 27, only let your conduct be as becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast 
in one spirit. This is a church that was under persecution. And what Paul wanted to know was that they stand fast together, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He doesn't say, you know, stand fast individually. He says to the community, to all the saints with the elders and the deacons, strive together, stand fast together, love one another. And in nothing, verse 28, in nothing, terrified by your adversaries. We are entering into, we are in a time of terror. And it's getting worse. We're in Ramadan. Expect more jihadist attacks. You have to just look up the Treaty of Hudabaya, where you saw that Muhammad broke his oath during Ramadan in order to attack Mecca. And that's why jihadists strike during Ramadan. So expect more of what we saw last night and expect it to increase and increase and increase. Are we going to live in fear in a time of terror? No. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Comforter. That we expect all of this. That all of this terror, we look at our prophecy watch and we say, oh, right on time. Calm, cool, collected. And faithful. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Now, this unity that we have, this striving together for the faith of the gospel, it is to them, your adversaries, evidence of their perdition. But this love that you have for one another, this unity, this, this spirit, this one mind striving together, For you, it's evidence of your salvation. So when we pull together as a community and strive together for the faith of the gospel, this is for us evidence that we are on our way to salvation. But also, Christ says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Does he say that all men will be faithful and follow you, that all men will repent, that all men will leave Satan? No, but he says that all men will know that you're my disciple. So when we learn to love one another and never betray one another, when the adversaries come, they will know, surely we have persecuted the church of God. Surely these were faithful men and women. So our unity is evidence against them. It's, again, legal language. It's evidence of their destruction. It's proof of our salvation. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, as children we were very poor. And Christmas for my mom was a big deal. She wanted to make it an important date for us. And so she would save for probably nine months of the year so that we could have a great Christmas. And uh, the charities, Salvation Army, they would give us gifts as well. And then aunts and uncles would give us gifts. So generally, we would get used toys from Salvation Army. We would get underwear and socks from aunts and uncles. And then my mom would give us underwears and socks as well. But she would always give us one big gift that she knew we really wanted. And one year, under the tree, this box was probably as big as this accordion. I won't touch it. I know it's precious. 
It's as big as this, as big as this accordion. We had no idea what it was. All we knew is that it was addressed to my brother Leroy. And we were just, all of us were fascinated. What could possibly be in there? On the day, and we, were so, we couldn't even sleep the night before. On the day, we finally got to open our, we couldn't open that gift. We had to have breakfast. We had to wash the dishes, put away all the garbage. And then when everything was done, then we could finally open the gifts. We opened this, he, my brother opens this gift. Would you believe it? Major Matt Mason moon landing. Doesn't mean anything to you. <laughs> Meant a great deal to us. This was like, it was like G.I. Joe, but Major Matt was this uh, astronaut who landed on the moon, and it was the whole kit and caboodle. It was phenomenal. We were all thrilled. That was the gift of gifts. But that's nothing compared to this gift. Here is the gift of gifts. Verse 29. For unto you, here is the gift of gifts. It is given unto you in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, which is the work of God that we believe in him, but that's not all you're given. Here's the gift of gifts. But also to suffer for his sake. Don't withdraw from suffering as a Christian. Run to it. This is the gift of gifts. We, we have to view life, brethren, not in the view of this dot. We need to view life, start at the dot, but keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going on to eternity. That's what you've been given. To suffer for Christ so that you can bear witness for him and have eternal life forever and ever and ever. Don't run from suffering. Be as bold as a lion. Verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me, that is Paul, and now here to be in me. So they're having the same persecution. Verse 1 of chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's saying the same thing that Christ said. Love one another. This is like saying, you know, if there be any water in the ocean, could you pour your brother a glass of water? Of course there's water in the ocean. There's tons of water in the ocean. Of course there's consolation in Christ. The comforter is in the church. So if there's any comfort in Christ, love one another. Because what we have to face, brethren, the way we will get through it is the love that we have for one another. The encouragement, the support, the reminder that we're going on to eternity. We need this, brethren. Acts 4. Look at the working of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you read Luke-Acts together, try to read it in one sitting. In Luke, who, who wrote both Luke and Acts, in Luke, you see the works and the words of Christ. And in Acts, what they call the, um, the Acts of the Apostles, which actually would be better labeled the Acts of the Holy Spirit, you see in Luke the Acts and words of Christ. And in the book of Acts, you see the Acts and the words of Christ. 
you, you can almost do a, a direct match to what Christ did here, the apostles are doing here by the Holy Spirit. Here Christ is on earth. Here he's in heaven, but his body is on earth. And through the Holy Spirit, they're doing the acts of Christ. Acts 4, verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. And they spoke henceforth to no man in, his, in this name. That they speak henceforth to no man in this name. So the disciples now have been threatened. Do not preach Christ. Do not preach that Jesus is the Son of God. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Or we'll do something really bad to you. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We are faithful witnesses. And for us, the Holy Spirit having empowered us, we cannot but speak the things that the Holy Spirit has taught us. So we're not afraid of threats. We have to declare this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 29. And now, Lord, so here they're released now to their brethren. And the brethren are praying. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. We're being threatened, Lord. What should we do? Can you please help us escape? No. And grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Very, very clear on task. We have a job to do. Our life, this is, you know, what an honor that we might sacrifice our life for Jesus Christ. What an honor. But this, this, is, this is beside the point. The point is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the point. That He is the King of kings. That there is no good news without Jesus Christ. There's no point to creation without Jesus Christ. And if we don't declare it, the rocks will rise up and declare it. So we're happy to declare it. So grant that your servants, with all boldness, may speak your word. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. This is the purpose of Pentecost. This is the continuation of the story. We don't stop in chapter 2. So the Spirit came down and tongues of fire and they were able to declare the gospel in all different languages. We don't stop there. It keeps going. The Holy Spirit then enables them to preach the gospel despite the threatenings with boldness and power. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together. God confirming that he heard this prayer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did the Holy Spirit enable them to do? What was the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit? That they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is the purpose. That the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth, enables us to preach with boldness, and to comfort one another. I have three volunteers. Can my three volunteers join me? Here they come. Let's have a round of applause for the three volunteers. So this is Ni Adewam and Akutapa. And where is Nana Tumwa? Is she coming? 
Or do I need another volunteer? Oh, she's coming. How are you? Does this mic work? Okay. Thank you. Yes, dear, yes. Are you ready? Uh, just one. Okay. So this is a test. Me, Adam, can you hold that glass? And then I'm going to have you stand over here. Nana Chumwa, can you come over here? Hold this glass. Water. I'm pouring the water. Akutapai, you have to watch. I'm pouring the water. Okay. Did you see? Does this glass have any water in it? No. What about this glass? Is it full? Got lots of water in it? Okay. Now I'm going to take this glass from your brother, and I'm going to pour the water over here. I'm going to give this back to your brother. Now, the $64,000 question. This glass, see how tall it is? See how short that glass is? Does this glass have the same amount of water that this glass used to have? Or does it have less? Okay. She said it has less. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to drink this. Akutapa, before you go, how old are you? She's six. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Round of applause again. Brethren, that experiment is called the conservation of volume. And I chose a coup de pas because she is six. At six years old, the child's mind cannot understand the conservation of volume. All of us can understand that the water that was in the tall glass just took on a different shape. At six years old, the fact that it's a different shape means it must be a different volume. We must be more mature brethren. We must be able to spot the enemies of God, no matter what form they come in. Christ says, you shall know them by their works. You shall know them by their fruit. So we're not looking for a certain form, and until I see that form, I'm not believing anything. We're looking for fruit. We're looking for people who hate Jesus Christ, who hate the Father who hate the concept that the Father has a Son and that Jesus Christ is coming to reign the earth. Those are the, those are the antichrists. Those are the enemies of Christ. Let us not be fooled by the conservation of evil. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, go. Don't sit down. Go. Go you, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He is with us. He doesn't say sit down. He says go. You know, um, I heard this term from Pastor Ramakan years ago, the 1040 window. From 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees, there's this window cutting across the Middle East and Northern Africa that the gospel is unknown. And, and we're not able to preach it there. Christ says, go to all nations. He doesn't say, be afraid of nations. He doesn't say, be afraid of them if they say they'll, they'll persecute you. He says, go. The gospel must be preached. And if we don't go, he says, no problem. I'll bring them here. You keep preaching. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 8. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. A sorrowful time lies ahead. It might not be in our time, but indications are that it will be. These are the beginning of sorrows. For then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and many will be offended, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations. He says, go to all nations. But he tells us we'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. He told us in John 16, he's telling us ahead of time, so we won't be offended, but he tells us here that many will be offended. And shall betray one another. He tells us, love one another. It's a commandment. And yet he tells us, many of us will betray one another. The time ahead, it might not be in our time, but every indication is that it's coming and it's coming fast. That whatever it is, is going to be so fierce, the easy way out is to deny Christ and betray one another. And this is why we need Pentecost. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. So that no matter what happens, we declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we love the brethren. And we comfort the brethren. And we never betray. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And notice this, brethren. It is in this context of incredible hatred towards God's people that we get verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, a legal term, for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. The only way this can be done in this, in this world of hostility is that we are imbued with power from on high. That the spirit of Pentecost falls on us. And with tongues of fire, we declare this witness. That Jesus is the son of God and he's coming to reign. 1 Corinthians 15. As we wind down. And verse 24. In the, spirit, in the world of this uh, hostile world, all nations hating the gospel of Christ. And yet there's a people with the power of Pentecost that preach this gospel of the kingdom. Verse 24, 15. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. 
So, so this is coming. We just have to see it coming and be faithful. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's obvious that he, the Father, is accepted, which did put all things under him, the Son. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, the Son, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him, the Father, that put all things under him, the Son, that God may be all in all. This is, this is the purpose. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? So this requires a bit of explaining. This is referring to the Greek phalanx, which is the way the Greeks went to war. They went as a block of soldiers. And they were in their battle array, one behind the other in a block. And as they fought, if a soldier fell, the one right behind would take up his shield and replace him and keep marching. So they would replace the dead and keep marching. And that's what he's saying here, that the church is an army. And as we preach this work, as we preach this gospel, they're losing their lives. And people are witnessing the martyrdom, and they're coming in to be baptized to replace those that have been martyred. The church grows the fastest when it's under persecution. It is the sloppiest and the weakest when it's affluent. Here in the first century, it was under tremendous persecution. And more and more brethren came in and were baptized to replace those that they saw slaughtered. And why? So here they're coming in and replacing those that are dead. We're still living. But why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast of Ephesus at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. They were living at a time where Christians were being hunted down and killed. If the dead don't rise, we might as well just have a party. Because tomorrow we die. But if Christ rose from the dead, he will raise us up from the dead. And so we will be the faithful martyrs. We will declare this to the end. Knowing, as Abraham knew that Christ would raise up Isaac, that he will raise us up. I'm going to conclude, brethren. I'm going to conclude in 1 John 3. As I conclude, let me remind you that the Creator came into His own creation with a work that the Father gave Him. That work was to declare that He indeed is the Son of God and that He is coming to reign and then turn everything over to the Father. He was killed for that. Then he sent his Holy Spirit and began the church. And that Holy Spirit gave the church the power to continue that work. We are here to preach this gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us the truth 
of the gospel. That we can be a faithful and a true witness. The Holy Spirit then gives us the boldness to preach that gospel message regardless of opposition. You judge for yourself whether we should obey you or obey God. As for us, we ought to obey God rather than men. And finally, brethren, what the Comforter does, what Pentecost enables, what the Holy Spirit empowers, is this ability for us to love one another the way that God loves us. That despite all of my idiosyncrasies and foibles and faults, you have mercy on me and compassion on me, which is divine. Because if it was human, you couldn't tolerate me. And maybe I couldn't tolerate you. But the Holy Spirit comes into the church and enables us to love one another. Many will say, Oh, people have been preaching the end of the world forever. Scoffers will say that. Nothing's different. I'm telling you, brethren, we're living in a markedly different time than anything the world has ever seen. I think the end is upon us. And my ask is this. I'm not asking you to sell your houses and give me all your money. That's not my ask. Here's my ask. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask what John asked in 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. If the end is upon us, brethren, let us fulfill this scripture. 1 John chapter 3 verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised by this. Don't be alarmed. You're like, all I'm saying is that Jesus is the Son of God. Why does everybody hate me? Why is everybody shunning me? Why won't anybody speak to me? Don't marvel. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know this? Where, where does this confidence come from? That I can look death in the eye and say it's okay. Because I know that I've passed from death unto life. Where does that confidence come from? He tells us. We know that we've passed from death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. This is the evidence of our salvation and the evidence of their perdition. That we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. In other words, God is saying, I have no use for you. I am love. And I'm building a family of love. And if you can't love your brother, I have no use. But if you do love your brother, this is the evidence to you that you've passed from death into eternal life. And with this evidence, you can have the confidence to face any persecution, any threatening, any adversary, with boldness. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, do not betray. 
No matter what happens, do not betray. Lay down your life instead for your brother. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you what the scripture is saying. And these scriptures are, are uh, time-released. Each year, another scripture releases itself. So it's, these, are, these are scriptures that will come into being, will come into fullness as time marches on. But we can ready ourselves now. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoso has this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So, you know, I might be on the run. I have declared that Jesus is the Son of God, and they want to kill me. I'm on the run. And I knock on your door. Can you let me in? And you're like, we don't want any trouble here. That's what Scripture is saying. But whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This is how we know, because we love the brethren. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments to love one another and do those things which are pleasing in his sight to declare Jesus Christ. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, but that's not all. The other commandment is to love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So brethren, whatever the future holds, it is well with my soul. We can say it is well with my soul. Brethren, Nelson Mandela, in 1962, he was arrested by the South African security police for his opposition to white government and apartheid. In his defense, He concluded his opening statement with this. During my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination, and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for And to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. This is a carnal man in a carnal cause, in a failed cause. But he had an ideal that he was prepared to die for. We have an ideal that cannot fail. We are striving to end the domination of the devil and the captivity of the devil over mankind. Is it an ideal that we are prepared to die for? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry, To final breath, Jesus commands, 
my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand and I will declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I will do that as bold as a lion. Will you join me? This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.